Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome everybody to another episode of my independence report. My name is Kevin. That's Kayla and that's Rhea, who is there as well. That is Kayla's three-year-old attachment. And uh, we're, we're trying to have that uh, surgically removed, but I'm afraid that uh, she's not going anywhere, this little one, uh, which is which is fine. Um, and because it is what it is. And uh, speaking of is what it is, we had booked a guest for this hour and uh, we crossed our signals and stuff. And so she, we're going to book her for another time. But the subject that we were going to talk about was suicide and suicide prevention and i was talking to kayla about it earlier and uh, i said you know i've had quite a few instances of dealing with uh, suicide and um and and you piped up with i piped up with um going to high school and having two people commit suicide that i went to high school with along with car accidents and a cliff accident. So there's just suicide is a big thing that needs to be known and put out there that it, it's, it's a serious deal. Well, let me, let me explain to our audience just how serious a deal it is. And I'm pulling up statistics from uh, 2019 that 47,511 let me repeat that number, 47,511 people and 1.38 million people attempted it, 47,511 died from it. It is the 10th uh, leading cause of death in the United States. Uh, it's, there's almost 14 people per 100,000 individuals commit suicide. The uh, middle-aged, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, middle-aged white men, account for a, for almost 69.38% of suicide deaths in 2019 on average there are uh 300 and or excuse me 130 suicides committed every day and that is a statistic that i would like to see changed and uh but but first uh let's let's talk with you a little bit about your experience with with it what what is have has somebody very close to you chosen to to do that um i would say more acquaintances through through high school but i know the impact that it put um on the high schoolers and the people that were you know very social with this person um or people i should say um i was in classes with both of them as this had happened i'm not going to name names because no. that's just it's no, we're not gonna, necessary you know rules what we're going to not talk about is we're not going to talk about the manner in which they chose to do it and we're not going to talk about their names although i am going to talk a little bit about uh a particular situation that i had because i think it's very instructive for people who are, are going through this, but anyway, but, but it affected when someone, when that, when somebody did that, it affected your high school to a great degree, didn't it? 
Yes, it did. And it, to an extreme degree. I don't know. Are you, a lot of people remember the Wassel test and um, the, the person's name that had this, had done this, his name was in our Wassel test. And the effect of that made the friends uh, not come to school, not take the test. Um, his girlfriend at the time wouldn't show up for weeks at a time. She showed up for a day. Everybody would crowd her type stuff. It was a very overwhelming, um, tragic experience for a lot of us high schoolers. It was an eye opener as well. It was. And, and um, a lot of the folks that you went to high school with, did they get counseling? Did somebody help them? Did somebody talk to them about and talk them through it? Or was it one of those things that they kind of hush, hush, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about this. And we don't want to, the family doesn't want it known that they can, committed suicide. Was it, which, which was it for you? I would say there was about a good 50% that I, I would assume that reached out for counseling. And then there was that other 50% that just decided it wasn't for them and dealt with their own coping mechanisms. We had, um, counselors um, in high school that would come in and do speeches and, and offer their time during school hours for the children in need that needed it right then and there. I want to tell you a story. This is the first one of, of several that I have. Um, I got a call from my, at this time, she was my girlfriend's um, brother's wife who was, uh, her name was Sandy, and she called to say that her brother had f walked into his house, walked into his bedroom, and found his wife in bed with another man. He left um, and was very distraught, and he left and said, this is 4th of July, and he said, I'm going to go out with a bang. And they thought that they had gotten all the guns away but apparently he had more guns than they thought than they knew about and so they asked me to go to help find him and so i drove me and and my future brother-in-law went and drove to a um, secluded area it was just a one lane road on, on one lane each way and it was it was a very um um dense forest and and bushes area and there were a bunch of cars there. Now, this is before cell phones, keep in mind. This was, goes way back to the 1980. And so there were um, um, a bunch of cars on the side of the road, and people were out, and they were actively looking because that's where they found his car. And so we went, we went up um, down a, a bit of a, a, a logging road and was looking for him and calling out his name and stuff, and he wasn't there. And so we came back. To where the cars were and we said well and i said well let's go walk down this way a little bit and and, the, and there was a road and then there was a, a ditch and then there was a steep incline going up the hill and it was all foliage and uh, so we we started walking down that road and i saw some uh, um movement in the grass and in the foliage that was right there and foliage was broken and stuff and i said well let's start walking up here and at this point it was getting dark and uh, so I said, well, why don't we walk up this way? His brother was at the top of the hill, the, the, uh, the gentleman who we were looking for. His brother and a couple of people were at the top of the hill. And so I said, well, why don't we walk up from here and we'll just go up to the top of the hill? 
So we started walking up in that direction, and we got probably, oh, 30, 40 feet. And at this point, it was dark, and, and there was, and right in front of us was a flash and a loud bang. So we stopped, and we didn't quite know what to make of it. And um, um, we continued after a few moments, and we came upon an area that had been cleared out, and there was a body lying there. And so we, uh, um, we went to him and turned him over, and he had a shotgun, or he had a rifle with him. We thought he only had a handgun, but he had a rifle. And I looked, and, and his, um, his head was gone. And uh, so I, I yelled for somebody to go get some medical attention, and somebody had to get in a car to go to a, a payphone to, to call an ambulance and, and uh, support help. And his brother was at the top of the hill trying to get down the hill, and we were trying to keep him away because I knew that that, that get, wasn't going to end well. And so uh, that was my first encounter with somebody who took their own life. So we stayed with, with him um, until the firemen came and then the police came and they took my brother-in-law and me and put us back in the police car, uh, because they wanted to get an answer of what had happened and, and so forth. So we did that. And then, uh, um, we spent some time there and then, and then we went to, um, his family's house where they were all gathered together. And the, it was an, a horrific scene for everybody there because Everybody was just shocked, and and it was a horrible, horrible thing for the entire family. I remember being called over to the grandfather, who was very old at the time and very frail, and and he shook my hand and he said thank you for for going to help him and and stuff like that. And um, but it was because we walked up on him that he chose that time. He had been sitting there smoking dope for the last several hours, watching people hunt for him and look for him and he was just just watching them and then when we um when he was in risk of being discovered that's when he made the decision to either give up or to take his own life and at that moment he took his own life that was um that was uh fourth of july in like 1980 81 and i have not enjoyed the fourth of july ever since uh for that for that very reason because it affected his whole family in a, in a huge degree and it affected me and I didn't even know the guy. Um, but I did know him post mortem, if you will. So it was, it, and it, that kind of thing. I don't think when people commit suicide, they think about that sort of thing, how it's going to affect other people. What do you think? How did it make you feel though? That's my question. <clears throat> I felt like, well, first of all, I felt like there was nothing that I could do. Um, I couldn't have saved him we couldn't see um and he made a decision to do that when he didn't have to nobody was putting well he was putting a gun to his head but nobody else was and he didn't he didn't have to but it, it made me it changed my life in a couple of ways first of all i will not own a gun i will not have a gun in my house um, when I was, when my kids were growing up and they wanted to uh because the other kids in the neighborhood had a gun nope we're not, we don't, we don't have guns in the house because 50% of suicides happen by gun. Uh, 
and uh, we're not we're not going to have that. And uh, and it also made it so that I I never did enjoy loud noises again or or the Fourth of July or any of that because I literally saw uh, things that you that a human should not see. Um, and so it was it was very hard. It was it was very hard. Um, and I didn't didn't enjoy that aspect of it at all. And um, but and while we're going through this, as we talk about the stories that we have, we need to do. Oh, I know what I need to do. Hold on just a second. Suicide, uh, I'm going to tell you, we got to put the suicide hotline thing up on the bottom. There yeah, the suicide prevention hotline you'll see scrolling across the bottom of your screen. If you have got an issue, if you feel like you are not in control of yourself, what I'm learning it's amazing, you know, Kayla, what you learn when you start reading about these things that that you don't really want to discuss because nobody wants to, you know, suicide is, is a huge epidemic in our country. Um, a lot of people are so unhappy with their lives or they're mentally, they have mental capacity issues or they're bipolar or that they tend to, uh, um, and we tend to ignore them. When we don't, and I've got another story in a little bit, but that addresses that uh, completely involving this brother-in-law that witnessed the suicide with me. He ended up doing virtually the same thing years later. But uh, let's 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 talk about. Um, I know you've got it up on your phone, uh, or do you still have it up on your phone? Which one? The suicide prevention. Prevention is possible. Yes, it is. Um, so although the underlying causes to suicidal thoughts and attempts of a person can seem overwhelming, there are several ways that you can help with prevention efforts. First, know the warning signs. Would you like to read, go through some of the more common warning signs? I like to, let me see. Any social connections, knowing the warning signs. Um, I might not have the right one that you have exactly up right now, but knowing the warning signs, suicide is more than just one cause factors such as substance misuse, untreated um, mental illnesses can lead to higher risk for suicide in individuals. So we might not be lethal means in suicide. Let me relook my thing. Suicide prevention. Okay. And uh, while, while you're looking at that, I'll kind of uh, review a few of these because there's also uh, the feelings that people exhibit when they, when they feel suicidal as well. Um, some of the most common things, themes about a suicide attempt are, well, number one, which makes total sense, a previous suicide attempt. Um, somebody that talks of suicide or making a plan or... Uh, something along those lines, a strong wish to die or a preoccupation with death, um, giving away prized possessions. That's a big one. If, if you've got something that if you have somebody that that is in your life and they want to give you something that, you know, is near and dear to their heart and they want you to have it, it's almost like they're creating a will for that, uh, giving away prized possessions. Signs of depression, such as moodiness, hopelessness, and withdrawal. You know, you you were a teenager sooner than I was, or 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 because you're you were a teenager like ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Um, 
I remember being a teenager and how there were times because you didn't know what your future was going to be. You didn't know what anything was going to be like. You didn't know if you were going to get married or if you were going to have a good time or if it was going to be a disaster. Um, did you ever feel like, uh, um, I, I, and I know that I did, uh, I, I never got close to acting on it. Uh, did you ever feel like when you were a teenager when, cause this is a very awkward time for, for kids. Uh, very, um, I can honestly say I'll be real. Let's be real. Okay. I'll be real. Let's be the real Kayla today. I was a child growing up struggling with a lot of things as a child and for attention for not having a father, my mother sometimes not really being around, my sister taking care of me when she came back home, middle school, um, attention seeking. I did try and commit suicide in about that more than once, more than once. And it's the feeling of being wanted. It's seeking attention when needing the attention. It's a cry for help when someone needs help. It's a very serious thing. I fear with it with my 10-year-old son every day. You know, if I could have done something like that, what's to say my son's not going to get upset about a video game? Or something that said somebody had said to him at school, because bullying's a real big factor now. And it still has been. It's always been. So there's a, that insecurity feeling that you have deep down. And just wanting somebody to love you for who you are. And if anybody here today, I could cry. I am. I'm probably, I'm going to cry. <laughs> anybody that is listening to this today, it's okay to have those feelings. You're not alone. There are thousands upon thousands of people struggling with these. You could, you could sit here and say that you're the most normal person and you're the happiest, healthy, and nothing's mentally wrong with you. You have the best life in the whole world. I call bullshit. I call bullshit because everybody has had some kind of upbringing that has triggered some kind of PTSD that has manifested something in their mind to make themselves feel not worthy. And I'm here to tell you today, you're worthy. You're okay to have these thoughts and these feelings because you're going to overcome them. And it, it's sad to me when the people actually act upon them and really do take their lives. And a lot of times it is a snap decision. Very. It's not. It, and you can be planning it. And there's some people that plan it for uh, a long time, but a lot of times, as in the story that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, it's a snap decision because you just get so pissed off at the world that you decide that you're going to be angry and you're going to take, take it out on the only person that you have available to. And that's yourself. You don't want to be part of this world anymore. You don't want to live in it anymore. You don't want to be around it. And you, and that's, and it clouds your judgment to the point where you can't think straight about what it's actually going to do to the people who love you that are around you. Yep. That it does. That it does. That's it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, thinking back at my acts upon life or e even making a statement because of my depression, my anxiety, my PTSD, you know, I'm out here, and if I'm out here, put yourself out there. 
to become a bigger and better person. Because if you make this situation something that's going to be aware of, we can save more people if we're aware that these feelings and these negative emotions and these thoughts of depression and suicide, they are real feelings. And if we can express them freely, God damn it, why can't we save more people? Because I think oftentimes we don't talk about it. Uh, we have, with our kids, we have the sex talk. With our kids, some of them. Yeah. At, at the age appropriate time and and we talk and we talk about you know friends and we talk about alcohol and we talk about drugs but uh i don't know if how many of us say to our kids how you doing today how you feeling what's going on in your world i care i want to know and when when the when it comes back that they've been bullied or that they're not happy, or that they're they miss the they miss the baseball cut, uh, and they can't can't play, or 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 their girlfriend left them, or their boyfriend left them. The first thing that you think about is, um, how can I help you through this pain that you're feeling? But we don't necessarily always do that. A lot of times we don't we don't we don't we don't. We don't there are many feelings that a person considering suicide might be feeling, including can't stop the pain, can't think clearly, can't make decisions, can't see, this is a big one, can't see any way out, can't eat, sleep, or work, can't make the sadness go away, can't see a future without pain, can't see themselves as worthy or worthwhile, can't, see some, can't get someone's attention, can't get control. I think can't get someone's attention, especially as a kid, as a teenager, if you can't get the attention of the adults that are in your life because they're so busy and they're going and doing this and that, I implore you as a parent, please stop and say, how are you doing? How are, how are things? Take an actual interest. <clears throat> Sit down and have dinner together. At least once, at least once, two, three times a week, all sit down at the same table and talk about what's going on in their lives. Because there's a lot going on in a teenager's life that you will never know about. Some you don't want to know about, because, uh, but there's a lot that you just don't want to know about, or you don't know about, and you don't know how they're. It was years later. My kids are are now grown men and adults, but it wasn't until their adulthood that they told me some of the things that happened to them or how they felt when they were teenagers that they didn't share. And fortunately, both neither of them uh, was in that place of wanting to commit suicide, but that could well have been, they had friends, everybody, everybody's been touched by this hideous disease mm -hmm. and I'll call it a disease. Cause I think that's what it is. And I, I, I don't think we talk about it enough. I know that when, when you were, when you were in that phase and you were, I, well, first of all, I know my parents never even considered bringing it up. Um, it was never talked about. No. No, it, it, it's still not talked about. Not in, not in many families. No. Um, because they're, and I, I'm not sure I know why. Do you have an idea why? Fear, maybe. Fear of it happening if you talk about it. Fear of giving them the idea. But you got to realize that this fear, 
that idea, that already is there. So it's fear. It's fear in the adults not wanting to bring it up to their children, just like they fear not talking about sex or drugs and alcohol. It's fear. You don't want your child, okay, oh, I'm going to talk about sex, or I'm going to talk about suicide, or I'm going to talk about drugs and alcohol, and then turn in fear that you're 10, 9, 8, however old, he or she is going to in turn go out and do it. It's fear. It's lack of, it's what it, what it, stop, look, and listen. That is what I was told by my grandmother, my grandparents, my mother, by everybody in my life. Stop look and listen. So if we're being told that as a child, hear it as an adult. Stop, look, and listen to the people around you because they need you. That is, I can't, that, that, I value that statement to a great degree because it's so true. You, you really need to uh, stop and listen. Let me, let me tell you another story. I got another one. Um, in 2002, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, she was, her name is Sandy, and she was 40. Uh, she, she had a, a congenital heart defect, and they, and they really, at that time, when she was born, they didn't think she'd make it out of her 20s. Well, because of modern technology, she made it to about 40, but she needed to have a, a heart transplant, and she, her health declined. And she wasn't able to, uh, she was in uh, ICU for like three months at the University of Washington Hospital. And, um, and she died like 15 times and they kept bringing her back. And, but she didn't, she wasn't healthy enough to get a new heart. And so one day they couldn't bring her back anymore. She, that day she died like seven or eight times. And then finally, she, and so my brother-in-law, they'd been married for 20 years. And my brother-in-law was uh, lost. Um, well, and then what, what, what made it worse was, as we found out later, and all of these things we found out later, because in this particular family, they did not talk about anything consequential. They didn't get into anything deep. They didn't talk about if they had an argument when they were growing up. If they had an argument, um, they'd all go to bed angry, and then the next day nobody would talk about it. They wouldn't work through it. They wouldn't figure it out. They wouldn't. They so, consequently, they didn't. When she died, he was in the middle of, and can't congratulate him for this, but he was in the middle of an affair with somebody that was uh, fifteen years younger than him or twenty years younger than him, and he thought that when she died, he was going to be released. Uh, from the obligation of taking care of a very sick woman, and then he had uh, a young girl, and then but when when Sandy died, so the young girl left, and so Bruce was by himself, and uh, his parents were not necessarily there for him. Um, his sister, my wife, was not there for him. I implored her on several of occasions to give him a call, and she just just never did. And uh, she didn't feel the need or, and because she, I, I guess she didn't know what to say to him. So one Saturday morning, about five months after she passed, he was, um, he called his father because he'd gotten in trouble at work 
he had taken a loan out and this girl had taken about $5,000 from him. Um, and he was, and he just got the bill from the university of Washington for a half million dollars. Um, and so all of these things hit him all at the same time. And so he ended up being very angry. He gathered up his, his like the titles to his cars and stuff like that and uh, put them on the dining room table. And then when we found them, they had blood on them uh, because he took his own life at that moment. Um, and I, and her, her brother called me. I was home that day and he called me and said, Bruce has committed suicide. And I said, you're you know, you've got to be kidding me. So I called my wife who was out bike riding and I told her I needed to, I needed to come get her and to meet me somewhere. And so we met and I, that's when I told her that he had committed suicide and her response was not tears as I would have expected or sadness. It was anger. She was mad at him for, for taking his own life, which I suppose is a, a fairly normal deal. So anyway, we go down and meet, um, the people that had called me down at Bruce's house. Now Bruce was already gone. They had called the sheriff and, and, uh, they'd taken him away and, and stuff, which, well, I'll just, that's a topic for another time. But anyway, um, so we went there and made sure the house was secure and stuff. And then we drove down to her parents' house in Lacey. And um, it was the oddest thing in my life. I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. Uh, we, we go down there. We didn't tell them ahead of time that Bruce had committed suicide because we wanted to tell them in person. So we go down to their house and we knock on the door and they open the door and and, we, and they said, what are you guys doing here? And I said, well, we've got some news. And I, I, can we go sit down? And uh, we turned around and walked into the house. And Les, who is the father-in-law, my father-in-law, was tapping on his wife saying, I told you, see, see, I told you, I told you. And I assumed that what they were talking about was that, that we were going to get a divorce. And that's why we were down there to talk to him. And, and he was saying, I told you that... Uh, um, I told you that they're going to get a divorce. Well, we sat down and we, and, and we said, we have some horrible news for you. Um, Bruce committed suicide today. And he said, I know. And, and I was, what? Well, as it turns out, he had had a phone conversation about 15 to 20 minutes before Bruce passed away. And instead of getting in his car, which I would have done if I had an inkling that one of my kids was in trouble, I would have gotten in my car and I would have gone up there and sat with him and figured it out. He didn't. Bruce had been alone. He'd been lonesome. He didn't have very many friends. The girl that he was dating had left him. His job was in trouble. He just got a bill for half a million dollars and his father was not being very supportive. So he got angry, had a gun, and used it. He'd saw well, he'd seen what had happened to Danny's family uh, 15 years before, but that didn't seem to stop him and, and stuff. And, and so and my, my point, my point behind telling you that story and telling the audience that story is if you think in any way, shape or form in your wildest dreams, you think that somebody could be suicidal, do not 
dare not not act. You have got to go and take care of them and and make sure that they're okay. And and up to and including hospitalization, whatever you need to do, but do not let somebody be alone in that time. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense because you never know what somebody's rock bottom looks like. It could be a video game. It could be bullying. It could be breaking up with someone, having a loss of relationship, money, um, cats, dogs, a family member. It could be anything that could set somebody's rock bottom off. Anything. It, and it, it is so true. It is so true. Now, now to lighten the mood just a little bit. Now, Bruce has been gone for that's 20 years. That's today in the 19 years. And uh, um, so I know he went through some tough times over on the other side and you're a bit of a psychic and you can, you have some uh, uh, mediumship skills. So um, do you have anything that, that uh, he would like to say to add to this discussion? He's sorry. Sorry. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. And I think most of them are. They're sorry. It's a it's a it's a blink of a minute. It's a flash of a gun. It's it happens that quick that you know half the time they're stuck over here. They're stuck still in that traumatic state of what they were going through the minutes before it happened. And that's what's more heartbreaking. Right. Is knowing that they're physically stuck. And it's important for us to recognize when somebody has a problem and, and to, and to support them as, as, as best that you can and ask the question, uh, in this, in this paperwork that I found, uh, some, and the, the questions that you should ask are pretty profound in, in, in that, um, they want you to, they, everybody wants to be valued and had somebody said to him are you thinking about suicide or killing yourself and he said yes then to assess seriousness of the situation ask ask about one hurting themselves and and people do that all the time but you've got to be you've got to be there for them <coughs> excuse the expression or the excuse that uh so it's 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 really is important and, and it needs to come out of the closet i feel i agree this comes across i'm looking it up right now this affects people across race age gender um status quote frankly suicide doesn't care it takes anybody and everybody it doesn't matter who you are <laughs> it, it's gonna affect you in that mind state when it's there it's there so be aware, you know, if your friends are talking negatively, um, having emotions or being down on themselves, heaven forbid, if so, one of your friends lost a job and you know that that was their pride and joy, reach out to them, look up to them. You know, if you have a friend that lost a family member, a child at a young age, be with them forever because I've been there and I have been with one of my friends forever in one of those situations. So be with those people fight for them because in reality they're fighting to keep themselves going and they need 
that extra fight, that extra, it, one person can make a difference. So they need that one person that's willing to make a difference to look deep into their soul and tell them you are worthy. You are something of this world that you don't even know yet. You just need to live past it and push on. How do you get people to do that when they feel hopeless? Stick with them and give them the hope that they need. Give them the love that they may need. It's, it's not an easy journey. Not at all. It's not an easy thought process to be thinking either. It's traumatizing. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's negativity manifesting. You got to overcome it. You got to let love and light prevail. You know, one of the bigger things is that I've discovered in the last um, oh, 10 years or so is that there is a, uh, it used to be called manic depressive. Um, now, now it's called bipolar. And there are lots and lots of people that are walking around with bipolar. And let me tell you uh, a few of the symptoms and signs. If if you have somebody that is wildly optimistic and happy and and is promiscuous and is leading a wonderful life one minute and the next minute they want to kill somebody, that may be bipolar. If if you can't see my hand, but, you know, my hands up there. So I'm in that range, you know, that's. I think everybody's got a form of bipolarness. It's just a matter of how they take it out. You know, I'm not all that. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just laugh at myself because I know how woohoo I am. So, you know. <laughs> well, being, being bipolar is is a curse, and and it's it's my brother was, he's passed now, but my brother was in a relationship for like. They got married twice, was in a relationship for 10 or 12 years, and the cycle was like this. She and he got together. They were happy. She was a wonderful lady. She, And then one day she threw him out. Mm -hmm. She got mad at him for something that, that he considered insignificant, but she threw him out, so he went home. And then she, he was home for a couple, three days, and then she would come over and uh, wearing nothing but a coat and spaghetti. And uh, then so she would bring in the, the deal of spaghetti, drop the coat, and uh, um, and then the they would get back together. <laughs> the whole new spaghetti level begins. <laughs> exactly. you know, it is. It, it's, it's mixed emotions, feelings. And, and suicide, it can be based off of depression, bipolar, anxiety. There's all these mental illnesses that are associated with it. But let alone, sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's that hunky-dory person, you know, like Robin Williams, for instance, all that always got to make you laugh, always got to put a smile on your face. And deep down, he was struggling. He was in pain, but he took his pain and projected it to make other people smile to make himself better. So that's another way. If you're hanging out with somebody hunky-dory, happy-go-lucky, always wanting to make everybody else feel good, stop, look, listen, and ask them how they are really feeling. Deep down inside. Deep down. Ask them, how are you really feeling? And half the time, they might give you an answer, and half the time, they might sit there dumbfounded and try and think of it because they really need to figure it out themselves. 
And we all are going through all of that. And, and if you feel like you need counseling, there are avenues that you can go. And the fact of the matter is, at one point or another, we can all use counseling. Because yes. um, it's very handy to have somebody else look at our situation and be able to say, so you're doing this, why? And mm -hmm. you're doing that and, and, and stuff. And, and we all have got stuff. I, I, as I've gotten older... I've met so many people now and I've let so many met so many families. I don't believe that I've ever met a family that does not have some dysfunctionality associated with it. Amen to that. We're all dysfunctional. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's if we were perfect, perfect yeah. in this world, we'd be shitting rainbows and glitter and gold chunks and whatever. <laughs> we'd be, we'd be having, yeah. But uh, every, every family that I've met, be it from my in-laws that, that they never talked about anything negative mm -hmm. to my family, which they never talked about anything at all. Um, and, and when I was a kid and, uh, my, the two, the two biggest lines I ever heard from my father were, okay. Well, the three biggest lines, one was good game. Uh, the second one was when I play baseball, the second one was don't talk back young man. And the third one was go to your room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's pretty much the relationship when i was growing up with my old man was like hey dad don't talk back go to your room sometimes it was like a a a, a, a one sentence thing don't talk back to me young man and go to your room uh, but and so my dad never would have he wasn't in him he didn't know how but today i like to think that people are a little bit more understanding and can and can make that connection to somebody else my dad never in a million years would have sat me down and said son i love you how are you feeling he didn't know how to do that nope. uh, but i i implore especially the fathers in the world uh, in this day and age you need to take an active part in your kids growing up you need to be aware of what's going on in their world are they, are they being bullied how's their schoolwork doing are they feeling fulfilled are you are they having fun are you having fun with them um doing all of those things and if that's not happening figuring out how to make it happen because uh it's it's more important than ever because suicide is an easier thing now than ever there are 390 million guns in this country and a lot of people have got them and if you don't have them locked up prom properly shame on you but if your kid can get a hold of it and can get ammunition it's a it's, it's a problem yeah or 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 if you are being a middle-aged white guy and your your world is falling apart because you haven't gotten where you want to get to in life and you look at your wife and going this is the best i can hope for and your kids are are struggling and you're struggling at work and you and you're all you're looking forward to is working for another 10 years and then retiring and sit on the lawn and and uh just wasting away if that's you need you need to have a passion and that's you need to you need to grow some balls and get a passion for yourself. All right, it, it, it goes to females too, not just men. This yeah. this isn't a sexist conversation. This is a suicide thing about men and female. Um, fem the females, you know, going back to the mother thing and and being responsible and being a part of your child's life. This stems for mothers as well, not just dads. There are dads that need to buck up put their big boy pants on because they did what they did. It takes two to tango, but there's also mothers out there that need to pull their head out of their asses 
and pay attention to the kids that they have. Or as my niece would say, crouch goblins. <laughs> Tata, I know if you heard me, you're going to die laughing today. I said it. <laughs> so Dang. it is a male and female thing. It is. It is. And uh, uh, although if you look at the statistics, um, the um, um, men die at a rate that is um, um, men die by suicide 3.63 times more than often than women. Um, and maybe that's because we, I don't know why that would be. I'm, I don't know either. I don't know. I guess we need to look up more on our statistics, but I definitely think we got our suicide point across. Yes, I think so. Crotch get cross goblins. Yes, Kevin. Crotch goblins. There's a mental picture for you. It's like, wow. <laughs> Just don't feed them after dark. Yeah, uh, exactly. after yeah then, then they turn into gremlins. Um, yeah. So, Kayla, maybe guys, uh, would you? Is, do you have any last thoughts? Or was there anything that you would like to add to this discussion about about suicide? I know I've said it before, but just take the time to stop, look, and listen, and pay attention to the people that are close to you, near and far, because you could change somebody's life. And as my final thought, I just want to I just want to add uh, that there was a 19 year old girl beautiful young girl she was an assistant manager at starbucks i knew her because i knew her family we we're in cub scouts together i i kind of grew up around her she was a real good kid and she took her own life and and the devastation that that caused her mother and father should they'll never get over they'll never get over that so be kind to each other don't if you, if you look at, this, at the screen and go get that number, 800-273-8255, if you feel the need, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, call that number. They have local places wherever you live to be able to get you in touch with the crisis center so that you can get the help that you need because, quite frankly, you do need help. If you're feeling serious about suicide, you need help. And so call that number, 800-273-8255, and they can help you. And um, we can eliminate suicide in our lifetime if, if we work at it hard enough. I truly believe that. I agree, Kevin. Kayla May, thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad we got this discussion out there, most definitely. I am too, and this will be on the uh, YouTube channel and also on the podcast, and it'll be up forever, and, and if you need it, it's there for you. Oh, we're uh, going to be putting it up on reruns, I think. We made it in good timing. I think so, too. I think so, too. So, Kayla May, thank you very much, and, and uh, you're going to have a great weekend now, aren't you? Yes, I got to go to my niece's graduation party. Shout out to Michaela Martin. I'm so happy. <laughs> is this high school? Um, it is. Uh, it's actually college. She graduated from another college and going to another college over in Eastern Washington. So oh, wow. It's a wow. high school, college, graduation, all in one. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulate her for me. That's, that's, that's really cool that she did that. It's very awesome. <laughs> 
And I want to thank everybody for listening now or in the future. And you all have a great weekend, and uh, we'll be in touch. We'll be back next week. Kayla and I are going to be back on Monday, and we're going to tell you what's coming up next week. we got another great week of shows coming up, so I hope you'll stay with us. And you have a wonderful day. Take care, Kayla. See you later, guys. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independent Report.